Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We have plenty to talk about today, including the hot, hot weather, dry weather in many parts of the country. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, will be with us, talk about the trends that we are in and what are what's developing, what he sees ahead, any relief in sight. If so, how widespread? We'll take a look at that. Uh, the markets, yeah, they've been uh, concerning as well. Some, some challenges there. We're going to talk with Todd Holtman, DTN's lead analyst, what he sees with these markets, what's moving them right now. We look ahead to the big report at the end of the month. We'll get his thoughts on all that. Also, we'll talk dairy markets today with Ben Lane, an economist with Robo AgriFinance. Hey, milk prices in the store are up, but what about prices, uh, milk prices for dairy producers? We're going to talk about that and get his outlook coming up a little bit later on. But right now, we started off with someone we talked with just last week in Des Moines at World Pork Expo. Joining us now is the president of the National Pork Producers Council, Jen Sorensen. Jen, good to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I know. You know, World Pork Expo kind of seems like an eternity ago for me but so glad to be back with you on AOA Mike <laughs> yeah you uh you went from World Pork Expo to our nation's capital where this week you were testifying before a house transportation subcommittee about uh the backup at the ports and the backup in the supply chain what was your message to uh, members of congress that's right. Well, you know, never a dull moment in the pork industry, but, you know, the message was first, the expansion of our export markets is so critical to the success of the U.S. pork industry. We are the world's top exporter of U.S. pork, and we ship out more than $7 billion to foreign destinations. But the problem that we're seeing is, you know, the COVID pandemic has just increased shipping issues. You know, we are importing as a country a much higher amount of consumer goods, and it is causing a backlog at the ports throughout the country, and it's putting our export markets at risk, in particular pork. And so the message to Congress was, you know, we need to find some solutions to get these ports operating and pork out of the U.S. into countries like Japan and the Asian Pacific region. What were some of the, the suggestions you had for Congress and things that they could do, action they could take? Well, you know, in agriculture, we work in coalitions, and the Agriculture Transportation Coalition, of which NPPC is a member, uh, has three, you know, near-term solutions here. And the first one is to, number one, expand hours for U.S. ports, you know, uh, one hour here, two hours there could be helpful in getting ag products out of the ports. Um, mandate that our ocean carriers transport export cargo at safe capacity levels. So what's happening is the carriers are coming over with consumer goods from China being imported into the United States, and they should be leaving with agricultural products. And what's happening is that they are not. They are leaving empty or they are leaving with, you know, 20, 40, 60 percent 
filled and the safe capacity rates are actually 75%. So we're asking for, you know, max out the capacity of the carriers and the cargo containers going back over to our export markets. And then finally, and this gets in the leads a little, little bit, but support and expedite the Federal Maritime Commission enforcement of a rule that declared the penalties being imposed on exporters were unreasonable. So there's a little bit of technicality uh, going on here with the rules and the penalties and the, and the departure delay times and notifications of those that gets in the weeds a little bit, but we're asking for the Federal Maritime Commission to step in. And we should point out, this isn't just agriculture uh, being impacted by this. I mean, every day we, f we see some other part of our lives touched by this backup, backlogs, uh, uh, companies and stores we try to do business with. They can't get supplies. I mean, this, this is really affecting everybody. All sectors are being impacted right now. And, you know, agriculture in particular um, on average, 22% of agriculture export sales are not being performed due to these capacity shortages. So this is very alarming to farmers. In particular, you look at our Japanese market, we're 33% of the market share in Japan. Um, it's a very important export market for us. And you know they buy that chilled pork loin, and it is really hard to find an export buyer for our pork loins. We need them uh, because that's a product that they desire, but they have very high standards. And when we have to turn down those reefers and freeze that product, that's very concerning because this export relationship is built on trust and dependability and reliability, and we do not want to lose Japan. Well, we talk a lot about the importance of trade, and rightfully so, but that's one thing to to establish a market and to get trade agreements and to have deals with these countries. But the other part of it is to be able to deliver, right? And the, that's a part of it we're focusing on now, and something needs to be done to address that, or, as you said, you lose that relationship and that trust with your customers. You're absolutely right. There's a lot of work that goes into opening up a market, getting market access, establishing a free trade agreement, but you're absolutely right. Once you have access, you have to deliver. And it's it's no different than, than any other buyer and seller relationship. I mean, there's there's it's established on trust and delivery of the standards that these countries have set forward for US pork. And we've you know, we pride ourselves on being the top exporter and being able to deliver you know, safe, quality um, pork at a great cost, and we want to continue to do that. Jen, finally, uh, speaking of World Pork Expo last week as we were earlier, um, you have to be very happy, not only the fact that it was back after a two-year uh, absence, but the fact that there was a good turnout and uh, it was uh, just great to have people back together again. I think it could be summed up with the word joy. We were we were so happy to see everyone, to see our fellow peers in the industry talking with suppliers and vendors. They were, you know, really ecstatic at the turnout and just being able to be in front of producers again. So glad to have been able to have brought the World Pork Expo back to Des Moines and back to the U.S. pork industry. Very good. It was good to see you last week. Good to talk with you again. Thank you, Jen. Thanks so much, Mike. Jen Sorensen, president of the National Pork Producers Council. Yeah, these 
uh, port backlogs and the backups that are going there. I mean, it's affecting what we can ship out. It's affecting what comes in. We know there are all kinds of labor issues and transportation issues trying to move products in and out of the country. So this is a huge issue for agriculture in general, the pork industry in particular, as we were talking with Jen, but the really uh, throughout our economy, this is a huge, huge issue. All right. When you go to the store to buy milk, you no doubt have noticed that the milk prices are higher. But what about the prices dairy producers are getting? What's the outlook for them? We're going to talk with an economist with Bravo AgriFinance. Look at the dairy markets next, right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Jen Sorensen, president of the National Pork Producers Council. Well, let's talk about the line speed issue. Capacity has been a huge issue facing the industry anyway. Of course, on the other side, there are people talking about, well, what about safety and health concerns for workers and packing plants? So how do you address that and still keep line speeds up? Nobody is more cognizant of safety in our farms and on the plants than producers. This is not a worker safety issue. There is no data that suggests that these plants operating under the faster line speeds had increased worker safety issues. In fact, the, the data suggests that quite the opposite. So, you know, this is a nonpartisan issue. We need to get this fixed. We need a solution here and we need to keep our capacity. And ultimately, we need to all come to the table with USDA, with our labor unions and others to find, to find a solution that works for all of us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids 
kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, dairy prices are in the news. That's because when you go to the store, you'll find milk costs more now. But what about dairy prices for producers of dairy products? I want to talk about that with Ben Lane, economist for Robo AgriFinance. Ben, thanks for joining us. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what we're seeing right now with dairy markets. Uh, give us your thoughts on uh, what's driving the markets right now and what do you see ahead? Yeah, well, so I think what we're looking at with, with dairy markets right now, the real storyline is coming out of last year when everything was disrupted and, and a unique year for obvious reasons. This year, we're trying to sort of rebalance the ideas of U.S. consumers or domestic consumers coming back to the market, going back out to food service and getting back to more normal patterns and also trying to ease off some of the government support that was kind of a defining feature of the demand side last year. So. We're trying to find where that all balances out right now, and, and we're still growing production, still moving ahead. So it's uh, right now, I think overall, you could say things are, are moving pretty well. Prices are looking moderately good. I mean, it's a challenge on the feed side, but but still prices are doing well. Product is moving. Demand is great. So I think all told, we're in a pretty good shape for, for right now. So we know there can be a disconnect between consumer prices, retail prices, and what producers get. So as we see the uh, in-store prices go up for milk and dairy products, what are we seeing for dairy producers What about the price they are getting? Yeah, I mean, we're starting to see some of the outlook in terms of producer prices come down a little bit from where they had been, certainly from where they had been last year. Part of that disconnect is because Retail prices in the first place tend to be a little stickier. Stores are slower to kind of move their prices, and, and sometimes it's easier to move prices up than it is for them to, to lower prices. But the producer prices are, in a lot of cases, driven by cheese, depending on where your farm is located. Cheese is going to be very important to your, your price, or butter and, and non-fat dry milk. So it depends kind of where you are in the country, what's really going to drive your milk price. But less than being fluid milk, it's often the cheese and butter and powder prices. And those right now are softening just a little bit because of, um, in the case of cheese, we've got basically just an abundant supply of cheese. Demand is great, but there's plenty of it out there. We've got some new capacity uh, processing that cheese. So it's, uh, it's softened a little bit, but still uh, moderately good, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But I always point out, uh, I'll hear consumers say talk about, uh, oh, you know, milk prices are higher, and so dairy dairy farmers must be making more money too. You know that it's it's not a it's not a one one to one, right? I mean, as you see a, a milk price go up in the store, that doesn't mean that dairy farmers going to see that same increase in their price. That's right. Yeah, that's that's certainly not the case. It's not a one to one yet. My my milk is is more expensive, therefore farmers are getting all that extra money. That's that's definitely not the case, and that's partly a function of the federal order pricing system, which has gotten a lot of attention and is continuing to. There's a lot of 
nuanced things in how milk is priced at the farm and how milk is priced to manufacturers of milk and cheese and all these things. There's there's some issues and some things that have been brought to light over the course of last year with all the volatility we saw. But uh, yeah, it's certainly not the case that just because you're you're seeing the milk that you're buying at the store go up, that's not all. That's that's certainly not all getting passed through to the producers. We're talking with Ben Lane, an economist with Bravo AgriFinance, looking at dairy markets. So what's your outlook, Ben, as we move through the summer and, and later into the year for dairy prices? I think for prices, there's going to be a challenge to really find a whole lot of upward momentum from here. I don't think that we're expecting any major crash. In, in our, our last outlook, kind of our quarterly global outlook that we do, we're basically looking at pretty neutral prices across the board globally. I mean, we've got pretty good production, but there's going to be limits in terms of expansion just because feed costs pretty much everywhere are um, are moving up. So that's pressuring margins. I mean, basically, that demand is good, but supply is certainly keeping up. So we're, we've got a pretty neutral outlook right now. Uh, compared to where we were last year, we saw a lot of government aid, a lot of government purchases of dairy products. That's coming out of the equation right now. So we're going to see a little bit more pressure. We're not going to see the same spikes that we saw in price last year as a result of that this year. So we're we're looking at pretty moderate um, prices and pretty steady neutral price outlooks overall. And, and that's normally not terribly bad in terms of pricing, but right now with the feed costs where they are, that's adding a little more pressure on the margins. Yeah, that's a big part of the scenario for producers, that's for sure. Uh, but you, you mentioned supply. There's no shortage, right? I mean, we're still, our production is still high. That's right. Yeah, we, we were up 2%, which is a little bit over trend for the first quarter. Uh, April, we're up 3.3% in terms of production. We're adding cows. We're at the highest milk cow herd level nationally that we have been in about 30 years. So we've got plenty of cows. There's, there's a lot of milk yield gains going on too. So it's strong production. We're starting to come up against some of the you know, the year-over-year -year comparisons that get tricky to do because of the, the disruptions from COVID last year. But overall, we're, we're making plenty of milk. There's still a lot of appetite for growth. We've got new cheese plants that we didn't have last year in Michigan. We've got more cheese plant expansions going on. So, yeah, there's milk production growth. There's product capacity. There's, there's plenty of supply. And demand is great, and that's helping to absorb some of it. But it's certainly not a tight market right now. Domestic demand. Uh... Is it up across the board or, or higher in, in some categories than others? We really, I know we always watch that cheese market, as you said, very closely, but what are we seeing overall with uh, domestic consumer demand? Domestic demand is good. I think we're up about 4% for the first quarter. Um, well, that's both domestic and export, but both of those are, are positive. Domestic consumers are still, I think we're in a sweet spot where we've still got some slightly elevated retail purchases going on that have been sticking with us through the pandemic. And we've got a lot of optimism and, and comfort levels with going back out to food service in some of the more populated areas. So we've got kind of the sweet spot of both of these sectors, food service and uh, retail, still having some strength. And, and that's been really positive for us. We've got uh, cheese has been okay through the pandemic for, for a few reasons. I mean, pizza has done well. A lot of the fast food and quick serve had come back quickly. But butter suffered. Now butter is starting to strengthen again because that's more, that's, it favors kind of the sit down dining, the more, uh, the, the higher end dining favors butter a little more. And as we see some of the restrictions on restaurants lifted, some of that starts to come back. So that's been positive as well. So right now everything's looking pretty good in terms of product demand for domestic consumers. 
there is some kind of some bit of unknown here, right, uh, Ben? As we make this move out of the pandemic and we see that shift maybe taking place back to uh, eating out and things like that, and we saw the shift, you know, to people buying at the at the grocery store and not eating out. And it'll be interesting to see how this transitions back. Does it come all the way back, or have some habits changed? I guess we'll find that out here in the months ahead. I think so, yeah. That's, there's still a question mark. I think right now everything's looking good, but it's hard to tell if we're in a little bit of a honeymoon period where everybody's getting back out and seeing the restaurants they used to, that they've been missing for the last year, maybe. And we've also got inflation concerns, costs. And people are going to start feeling that in their pocketbook a little bit. And we could, you know, as, as we see where this really settles in, where the kind of post-vaccine economy is, what comfort level people really have long-term and what might stick with us. Maybe we've realized that, you know, making lunch at home is is pretty affordable and pretty easy, and people might keep some of those those habits with them. So that'll be that's still a little bit of a question mark going forward: is how much sticker shock might there be with inflation? What habits might stick with us, and what's really this kind of post-vaccine economy going to look like from consumer demand? But right now, uh, I think you know we we enjoy where we're at. So I think uh, a little bit of word of caution, but let's let's also kind of enjoy the strong demand we're seeing right now. What about the dairy export market? That's been positive as well. That's been doing really well. Um, January was a little slow, but overall, February, March, April are looking really strong. Mexico had been a little bit slow. They're, they're our biggest trade partner in terms of exports. They've started to come back, so that's been really positive for dried milk, non-fat dry milk, skin milk powder. China is more than double where it was last year, and I, there's you know there was some swine fever and, and trade battles going on, but that's, that's still really positive. They're back in a big way. So overall, our exports are doing great, and that's really important to our ability to continue to grow. Our U.S. production is having that market there, but we've also got to keep in mind that, that that's partly due to our, our – we're a little bit of a discount in the global price spectrum. We're, we're kind of discount to some of our global competitors, so that favors us. The dollar is favoring us a little bit right now, so – all of that can't be taken as a given going forward. The export markets tend to be price sensitive and volatile. So that's a, a little bit of word of caution on, on that front. But again, that's along with domestic demand, exports are doing great right now. All right, Ben, thanks for the uh, perspective, the overview of the of dairy markets. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. All right, Ben Lane, economist with Robo AgriFinance. There are some uh, trade issues out there for dairy, of course, the ongoing situation with Canada, and uh, we'll get the latest on that and with the EU as well. That's coming up tomorrow when we talk with uh, the National Milk Producers Federation about some of those issues. Well, next we'll switch to grain markets with the hot, dry weather and markets reacting and Uh, Not always the way we think they would react to some of the uh, forecasts and some of the conditions. Todd Holtman, DTN's lead analyst, will join us next with more Market Outlook right here on AOA. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the ag industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Ag. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Ag. We hope to see you online. Step right up and gaze upon this miraculous substance I hold in the palm of my hands. This little miracle can feed us, clothe us, give us clean, fresh water, and provide wildlife habitat for nature's critters. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the greatest soil Learn more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Sharply lower futures for row crops this morning. Soybeans continue to be pressured due to weather, but also by reports the Biden administration is planning to adjust renewable fuel regulations to help the oil industry. Traders viewed those comments as negative to soybean oil demand Soybean oil prices fell over 8% on Wednesday and Thursday, taking beans lower. On the Board of Trade, July beans trading 32.5 cent lower at 14.15.5 cent. The August contract down 35.5 cent at 13.66.5 cent. For corn, the July contract down 18 and a fraction at 6.54 and three quarters. The September contract down 20.5 cent at 5.68. For wheat, Chicago wheat July down 9 and a fraction at 6.53 and a quarter. Kansas the city wheat July down 13 at 597 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat July up a fraction at 760 and a half cent. The September contract down a half a cent at 766. Yesterday we saw another day of higher cattle futures while hog futures took the back seat. Cash traded Wednesday similar to Tuesday with cattle in the south at $122 to $123, $2 higher than last week, while the north traded $193 to $197, $4 higher than last Last week, it is surprising packers are not using faltory box beef as leverage to bid lower. However, they do need cattle and are paying to get them. Box beef fell dramatically Wednesday with choice cuts down $5.26 and select cuts down $8.32. August live cattle on the Board of Trade down 77 at 124.15. October down 62 at 129.35. Feeder cattle August $1.45 higher at 159.15. The September contract up 82 at 160.62. In lean hogs, the July contract $1.80 lower at 113.70. August down 2.22 at 109.45. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's try to make sense of what's going on with the grain markets. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us. Todd, thanks for being with us. Now, wait a minute. It's hot. It's dry. We have uh, farmers are looking out there and maybe having questions about how much they're going to grow this year if it doesn't rain yeah. soon, and then they're seeing the markets go down. What's going on here? Yeah, the, the split screen that you're describing is a little bit amazing to me, too, and I'm not sure if I can make sense out of it, Mike. But I can tell you on the downside uh, here this week, we do have a selling panic going on in soybean oil. I think it's a bit of an overblown reaction uh, to possible changes in biofuel policy. We also have some very strange events happening in China lately. Uh, uh, We've heard rumors for weeks that uh, uh, China may be oppressing information which describes how short they are feed grains. And yesterday, a report came out of ABC News in Australia, which uh, added further detail and reported that supposedly there's some grain analysts under house arrest uh, and and this uh, further uh, notion that the Chinese government is trying not to let the word out on how short they are about feed grains. At the same time, there was a high-ranking official in China visiting northeastern China making comments about how important it is to keep grain prices at reasonable levels. So it seems to have their top-level concern. And uh, to me, uh, points to this picture that we've seen since last year, that feed grains are seriously short. But here, Chinese officials are trying to talk down prices and uh, having, I think, maybe a little short-term success. But uh, in the longer run, it looks very much like they're still going to be – needing large amounts in the market yeah so it's kind of a short-term long-term situation right they may be able to talk it down now but uh, those needs aren't going to go away yes and and i think that's absolutely the way we have to look at this and and in fact with the sell-offs that we're seeing in corn and beans right now i wouldn't be surprised if we don't start to see china get more active on the export front again for the new crop uh, corn and beans, we're getting down to some pretty nice support levels. we got November beans getting close to $13. Uh, I would think given the situation and, and the precarious uh, road ahead that we have for the U.S. crop here in the U.S., uh, $13 doesn't sound like too bad of a place to step in. So China, I mean, we talk about them so much, and, and we talk about their influence, and uh, it's hard to get yeah. information out of there, but, I mean, could it come down to that they can basically talk down the price for corn and soybeans and then able to buy it at a lower price? I mean, can they manipulate or move the market that much to their advantage? <laughs> well, uh, they can when there's other factors also helping them. And right now, the biofuel policy uh, concern is helping on that front. We also have uh, a kind of a split screen in the weather situation. As you mentioned, we've got serious subsoil deficits here in the northern Midwest and northwestern Corn Belt. But at the same time, there is some rain in the forecast ahead, mostly for the eastern Corn Belt. We'll have to see how much Iowa and Minnesota can get in on this. And we do have cooler temperatures coming next week, which ought to ease some of the stress. So 
uh, that's also weighing on the market a bit. All right, we're talking with DTN's lead analyst, Todd Holtman. Let's talk about that biofuel situation. I mean, basically, we have these rumors out there that the Biden administration is looking at some sort of uh, uh, relief for the oil industry, for refineries from the RFS. Uh, I mean, the growing demand for soy oil, for biodiesel, uh, renewable diesel, to fit into these climate goals and plans that uh, has really been driving the market. Then this rumor comes along and just seems to be uh, uh, really putting a dent in all that, even though we don't have any details on it yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in the bigger picture, uh, you know, it's hard to outguess maybe what the president will do here, but he is seen as a clean energy proponent. And uh, in fact, uh, that may be part of the problem initially. When President Biden was inaugurated, bean oil prices have run up 32 cents since his inauguration day uh, to their peak earlier this month. Now we've come back 15 cents. And I think part of the optimism of biodiesel being included in a clean energy package may have been overblown because we do have this supply situation that has to be accounted for. So now we've had a 15 cent retraction uh, from those highs earlier this month. Part of that, I think, is maybe normalizing the earlier optimism, but uh, also part of it is just kind of getting legs on its own now. Uh, I, I have a hard time seeing that the administration will do anything drastic to damage the renewable fuels mandate, but we'll see. Yeah, they they talk in broad, vague terms and giving very few specifics on a lot of things. Yeah, well, that is the political vocabulary of the day. Yeah, that's right. We're still waiting for details on a lot of issues. Yeah. Talking with DTN's yeah. uh, Todd Holtman. All right, Todd. So we look ahead. We're less than two weeks away now from this big June 30th uh, report. What are you thinking? Will much of it be already kind of factored in by the time we get there, or are you expecting big surprises? I, I have to say I'm in the big surprise camp. Uh, it, it's often been a surprise, uh, the acreage number that pops up. It was uh, a surprise a year ago. We found out there was a lot more prevented acres than anyone expected. I don't think we'll have a lot of prevented acres this year. It's just been too dry. Uh, in the planning season, I think, uh, went really well by all accounts. If the surprise I'm concerned about, and a lot of us are concerned about, is that uh, those acres could be much higher than the March estimates uh, that we were given. And uh, uh, so we'll have to just see how high. But I'm still shooting for 93 million acres of corn and 90 million acres of soybeans. That's enough to give us maybe a few hundred million bushels of extra corn carry in the new season if we get timely rains, and right now that's a big if. Markets assume a lot. Traders seem to assume a lot. They uh, assume a big <laughs> crop when you don't know, and they assume it's going to rain when we we know so far it's been pretty spotty. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we can be focused on one shiny object this week and a new shiny object next week, mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of the nature of the beast here. And it's frustrating at many times for farmers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wheat harvest underway. Uh, what are you hearing there? Uh, so far, it sounds like uh, early start is good. Uh, of course, we have a, a nice, dry, excessively hot situation uh, with that harvest just starting to get underway in south-central Kansas. But uh, overall report, 
the Kansas crop uh, has held up fairly well this year. They got some timely rains late in the season when they needed them. And uh, that harvest looks like it's going to have favorably dry weather uh, to keep moving northward. So uh, off to a good start there. So we've got a lot of things kind of happening right now, driving prices down. But overall, I mean, the fundamentals are still strong, right? Yes. Uh, and, and uh, you know, at volatile times like these, we tend to almost forget about fundamentals. And when we haven't really had uh, much of an export sales number and we had poor numbers again this morning, it's easy to forget that there's any demand for these markets. But there definitely is. And these uh, supplies uh, are the tightest we've seen in eight years for corn, similar for uh, soybeans. And we shouldn't lose sight of that fact. We're, we're going to have big volatile ranges, but they're going to be higher than what we've seen the past several years. And volatility works both up and down, right? <laughs> yeah, it sure does. As we're finding out this week, we're, we're getting quite a taste of the downside. Yeah. So we wait to see how widespread these uh, showers might be. But it was interesting this last week, uh, earlier this week, when the crop condition ratings came out. I mean... Uh, they reflected a, a pretty significant drop uh, concerns over some of the dry, hot weather we're seeing. Yeah, big drops in Iowa, uh, Minnesota. We continue to see those subsoil, subsoil moisture levels drop. We've got uh, less than 30% of subsoil moisture in Iowa considered adequate. That's a very tough uh, situation we have here for mid-June. Uh, so those forecasts are vital. And we, we've had some favorable forecasts the past several weeks, but then the actual rain amounts uh, don't seem to pan out quite as promised. So I, I think there's still a lot of reason to be uh, very curious or uh, skeptical uh, about the moisture amounts we're getting moving forward. And especially in those areas that were dry coming into this. So they're the Dakotas and parts of Minnesota, I mean, uh, they've had some rains recently, but uh, not nearly enough to make up for the shortages. No, and keep in mind, the Western Plains really is not included in the rain forecast for next week. And uh, uh, the Dakotas, remember, they were 10% of soybean production last year. So we can't just write them off as small states anymore. They, they're they a very significant uh, part of total production. And when we have supplies this tight, every state counts. I think that's a good point. Uh, we tend to consider those kind of on those states and those production areas on the fringe, but they're growing and they make it more and more of our overall production, a more significant part all the time. Yes, uh, absolutely true. Uh, we, we've, we've seen that, uh, you know, corn and soybean participation just kind of creep northward over the years. And uh, definitely it's, it's uh, much more spread out and, and very important to a lot of places. Well, the optimist says hot, dry weather in June drives those roots down good and far, you know. And uh, but that that depends on then some rains coming later in July and August, right? So that's what we're waiting that's on now. Right. There's no substitute for a good rain. That's what we all. Need. That's right. Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. More on these weather patterns next with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Each and every day, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. It is one thing to read about and hear about what's going on on our southern border. It's another thing to actually experience it. President of the Texas Farm Bureau, Russell Baining, joins us again. Uh, give us an update on the situation, what you are hearing from folks along that border. It's still a crisis. We have many Farm Bureau members and other ag producers along the border, and they're still dealing with the influx of folks coming over here illegally. It's been talked about some already. 
you're looking at damage to crops and damage to other property, whether it be fences and things like that. So those are the things we're dealing with. Safety becomes a very big concern as well because, uh, quite frankly, a lot of these folks are criminals. And the coyotes, the, the human smugglers, are using the fact that there's a surge to really make it easier for them to do their dirty work, whether it's human trafficking or whether it's drug trafficking or things of that nature. So, you know, you're not just dealing with folks that are coming over here looking for asylum. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, we're looking for some good weather news. Do you have any for us? Um, I can say a little right now. That's about the most I, I, I can say. But we're we're, we're trying. We're have some positive things coming. Uh, looks like in the next week, with some uh, pretty good, you know, much cooler temperatures coming for a good portion of the Corn Belt. Uh, and some chances for precipitation. Uh, the 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 it doesn't. It looks like we're going to keep the the really warm temperatures away from us for maybe a week, ten days, or maybe a little bit longer. And some chances for some precipitation, which are sorely needed throughout our whole area. How widespread will that precipitation be? You know that's that's the tough call right now. Is everybody. You know, the southern Corn Belt and the far eastern Corn Belt are still doing okay. They could use a little bit of rainfall, too, from, from what I'm hearing from folks. Uh, but they're they're not in as bad a shape. Uh, that northern Corn Belt area north of I-80 and on up into the Dakotas is really struggling right now. And uh, we need some widespread precipitation. People know what summertime convection is like, you know, that it is hit or miss. And it seems to be even a bit worse this year in the way of hit or miss. So uh, we're probably going to get some people who are winners and get some, you know, a couple inches of rain out of this. And there are probably people who miss out, unfortunately might miss out completely, but uh, that's we'll have to kind of wait and see over the next week. The other factor in this is that there is a tropical system that is starting to develop uh, in, in the Gulf of Mexico and the, the seven-day model uh, take, takes a lot of precipitation into the southeast. So they may be tapping out more of that moisture in that southeast. So that's kind of a wild card in this whole situation. So we, we have something optimistic in the way of systems coming through and some rainfall, just a matter of how much and who gets it ends up being the, the, the question. Sounds spotty, in other words. <laughs> we, those isolated uh, showers <laughs> well, and thunderstorms. <laughs> in a word, spotty, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we've seen before uh, sometimes a hot dry stretch is broken by severe weather should we be on the watch for that 
certainly in parts of Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, they've up the uh, NOAA's Storm Prediction Center has upgraded to an enhanced category for severe weather day. So something to keep an eye on with that. Uh, you know, so far this year, talking with regional folks and weather service folks, that's been the interesting thing is there's not there's been kind of a lack of overall severe weather, which goes along with the lack of precipitation. We just haven't had that many storms around. So we've had some severe weather, but a lot less than we're used to. And a lot, of, a lot, uh, not much precipitation associated with it. So certainly want to keep your eyes open on things over the next, you know, today particularly and over the next several days as these systems come through, because they can pop up uh, spotty, uh, you know, spotty, severe weather depending on what the situation is makes us think back to last year uh when uh, all of a sudden the ratio popped up oh that, we don't want to see that again definitely definitely no. don't want to see that again but the the situation also you know we we then start after what happens after this next seven to ten days next two weeks can this persist and, and right now, that's kind of a wild card. The new outlooks came out today uh, for July, you know, as, long, as well as the U, new U.S. drought monitor. And, and our situation going into July is kind of a mixed signal. Um, we're probably have a, we have a little bit better chance of being warmer than average throughout much of the upper Midwest just because we're so dry. Dry conditions tend to allow us to heat up more. But in the way of precipitation, there's really not strong signals. Uh, the northern plains and the Pacific Northwest have a better chance of being drier. The southeast U.S. has a chance of being wetter. We're kind of in between. And, and talking with the national folks, uh, the, the indicators are not really direct. So that's why, why they've kind of left us in the middle. So it's kind of the good news, bad news. Don't indicate that the dryness is continuing, but we also don't see the signals that we're going to continue to need rainfall because that's our that's our big issue right now is we have some incredibly dry soils that we need not only rainfall in the next couple of weeks, we need that to continue. And, and right now we, we just don't have good indications that that's going to continue on through July. Hmm. What stood out to you when you looked at that latest drought monitor map? Um, it is very interesting in the amount of coverage. I was just looking at some of the, the indicators on that. And the coverage in you know, what I'm calling the, what's called the north central region on the drought monitor, or it's basically the Corn Belt, uh, we have the most coverage of drought, and that's D1 to D4 uh, that we've seen since 2013, spring of 2013, which was following the 2012 drought. So the most coverage we've seen that way. Uh, we have some pockets of, of D3 in northwest Illinois, southwest Wisconsin. South, or Wisconsin has not seen D3 since, I think, 2012-2013. Uh, so just the spread of coverage. There has been a little bit of improvement in the northern plains, but they've still got enough issues going on there, too. So just the amount of area we have covered. And, you know, unless something big happens in the next several days, there will probably be some increase in coverage again in next week's map. Yeah, you got those areas that are extremely dry and have been for some time. Then you have the other areas that, uh, while not uh, in bad shape yet, uh, are are getting drier. So I mean that the the need for precipitation is getting wider across the Midwest. Correct. Uh, you know, because along with the lack of precipitation, we've had some really dry air. 
and a lot of clear skies. So, you know, we call it evapotranspiration. It's how much water is evaporating from the surface and what's transpiring from the crops. Uh, those, we've had some really high rates of that recently. So, you know, the crop and the soil surface are trying to, uh, the atmosphere is dry enough, it's trying to remove that water from the surface, and sometimes it's just not there. And that's why you're seeing the stress. We're seeing uh, widespread on the crops. Well, we'll hope for that better news uh, that you talked about could be coming. Uh, we'll we'll see uh, how widespread that is. Hopefully, we'll get some good rains out of it. Dennis, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. You guys take care. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. That wraps it up for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.